too late to invite your friends. I know in most churches, they usually tell you to put up your phones, but I'm telling you, take them out for right now. And here's what I want you to do. Go to your favorite social media, and I want you to tell all your friends to join you at Redemption Church this morning and worship with God. If you will do that, Man, you'll be surprised at how many people will see that and how many times it will be shared through the week. And so just as I was talking to you, I just did that, okay? So what that means is if I can do that while I'm talking to you, you can do it while you're sitting there listening to me this morning. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're joining us online also, I want to welcome you. We are grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. So today we're continuing, as the video was saying, we're continuing our Let's Go series. And last week, you know, I gave you guys some practical, a practical challenge to hand out some of these cards. And I hope you were able to do that. You know what? And, and Stephanie had just put down stacks of five cards. She, she kind of put them all over the table. There's some here today. And when she first, she put so many out there, I kind of got a little, little paranoid about that. I go, baby, that's kind of a little bit of an overkill. I just don't know where I have that many people. But here's the thing. I was just stoked. After the service, I looked down there, and there was like two stacks left. So, man, I just really appreciate you guys doing that. Hopefully, you had a chance to hand them out through the week. And uh, maybe even if you're uh, still trying to ease into this thing, a little uncomfortable about inviting people, just keep trying. You just got to keep trying. The key is don't stop trying. So, I got to tell you, though, but I was really proud of you guys that are only two stacks left and so please do share your stories with me man we need to hear about these stories as you're going and and uh inviting people we need to celebrate those stories so today we are in week two of our let's go series and we're going to talk about let's go fulfill our ministry this morning so if you have your bibles go ahead and turn into second corinthians chapter five we're going to look at verse 11 through 21 this morning and we're going to see mainly how motivation and dedication plays a huge vital role in our fulfilling our ministry this morning. And just to give you a little bit of context about our passage as you're turning there, Paul was motivating the Corinthian church. There was a lot of stuff going on. If you, if you know the history about the Corinthian church, man, that the culture had begun to creep into the church. The Corinthian culture, well, it wasn't the best. It was pretty much like a anything-goes type of culture man there was nothing these guys wouldn't do and there was also a lot of conflict though that was uh, created inside the church because the things were creeping inside the church and uh, you know it was you know Christians were having to learn well how do you how do you respond in these kind of difficult and divisive times and here's what I want us to focus on this morning Paul clearly in our passage today, he's going to clearly lay out our ministry as believers, even in the midst of these issues that he's facing and uh, you know, everything that was going on in the church at this time. Man, we, we need to keep our focus on what matters most. And that's the idea that Paul is stressing in our passage today. So he uses this opportunity to motivate and persuade these believers to fulfill the ministry that God had given them. And I pray that it will use us in our lives today to help us and fulfill our ministry so here's the deal guys the mission is what matters most the mission matters most would you repeat that with me this morning the mission matters most one time i couldn't hear you the mission matters most i think you got it that's awesome second corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 through 21 paul's writing here and he says therefore Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you will be able to answer to those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, and that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, Father, will you just pray, God, that we would just, Lord, just cancel out all the busyness in our lives right now and just focus in on you and your word. Lord, would you motivate us this morning? Would you encourage us? Lord, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, God. So would you help us in the days to come to carry it out, Father? So, Lord, use this passage in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the church in Corinth, man, they were, they were definitely a church that had its struggles. And, and, and there were all of these uncertainties that were going on in the church at this time. And, you know, Paul is motivating and he's, and he's encouraging us to stay focused on the ministry at hand. And, you know, with all the uncertainties that we face today, and there certainly are a lot of them, man, with all the political and the, the social uncertainties, we could all use some motivation and encouragement about right now. Amen? But it's hard, you know, it's in these hard times. It, it, it's just sometimes for me personally, man, it's just hard to just calm down and, you know, cancel out all the, the noise and, man, all the negatives of the days and all the distractions that, you know, come in our life on a daily basis that keeps us from focusing on the mission of reconciliation and making disciples. So how do we stay focused? Yeah, how do we stay motivated in the midst of all the noise going on today? I mean, how, how do you keep from being spiritually ADD? That's a question right there. I mean, God gives us these opportunities so many times, and it's just so easy in our everyday walk of life just to blow past these opportunities that God is sending our way. They're always around us. Uh, Henry Blackaby always said, God is at work around us. It's up to us to recognize that and get in on it. So today we're going to see how Paul, he reminds us of the ultimate motivational factor here that keeps us on track. So I want to back up. It's not in our text today, but I want to back up to verse 10. Because verse 10 is important because it gives us the motivation for what we're going to see in our text today. In verse 10, Paul says, 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, thankfully, when Paul's writing this here, we must all appear before the judgment seat. He's not talking about you know, us as Christians. He's talking about the Christ rejectors here. He's talking about those ones that will be condemned and eternally separated from him in hell. But he's referring to this judgment seat here. And, and the Greek word for that phrase, the judgment seat of Christ, is called the Bema. The Greek word is Bema or the Bema seat. You may be familiar with that, which it, it actually metaphorically refers to where Christ will sit to evaluate believers' lives when they die. It's here that we will be judged. We will be rewarded for all those things that we've done in our time as a believer. All of our time, all of our talents, our abilities, our faithfulness, all those things. And so Paul is using this terminology as the Bema seat because the Corinthians, they would have understood what that meant. Because the athletic games in, in, in Corinth, it was a big deal back in that day. And so the Bema seat was something that they would have understood. And, and so it was, the Bema seat was just this elevated platform to where these athletes, after they had ran their race or, or whatever it was, they would stand on these platforms to receive their prize and, and, and the rewards. And it was their motivation for finishing the race or for whatever they were doing. So Paul's writing here, and he's saying that similar to these athletes here, he says, we're going to stand on a Bema seat, the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our time and our abilities and our ministries and, and everything that we, we should be doing for Christ. We're going to have to stand and give an account for that one day. And so in verse 11, Paul uses this analogy of the Bema seat to persuade us, to motivate us. In fact, we are you to do that, to use that motivation so that we begin to persuade others. So Paul starts off by using a familiar word in verse 11, that old familiar word, therefore. He says in verse 11, therefore, because of verse 10, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. I, mean, I, I don't know about you guys, whenever I think about that day right there, I, I get a little nervous I do. I get a little overwhelmed because it, it, it's a very sobering thought if you've ever spent some time in thinking about, man, what's that going to look like when on that day when i got to stand before the Lord? And I understand that I will not have to give an account for my sin. And if you're here today, you've trusted Jesus Christ, you will not have to give an account for your sin. That's what Jesus paid at the cross. And, man, that's some really good news. I think it's bad enough just to stand you know, in front of the Lord and have to give an account for my lives as a believer. But it, it is. It's, it's, for me, it's a very sobering account to stand in front of the Lord and give an account for all these things that I've done. And so the judgment is where we will give an account. It's where we receive our rewards, just like those athletes did on the Bema seat. And Paul's saying here that it's the fear of the Lord is what is motivating him to persuade people. See, Paul's concern was, man, what, what's this going to look like when I'm standing in front of the Lord one day? And they say he's, he's telling us that we should examine our hearts. And I think this is a very healthy thing for us to consider from time to time. You know, this type of fear. Now, Paul's not talking about being utterly terrified before the Lord. It's not that kind of fear. He, he's, he's, he's very concerned about what it's going to look like when he has to stand before the Lord. Which, if you think about it, guys, we as Christians... I mean, when we stand and face before the Lord on a particular day when we die, I mean, we don't really think about that too much as believers. You ever notice that? 
What do we, when we think about heaven, what do we usually think about? Man, streets of gold, getting to see Jesus. We begin to think about things like that. No more pain, amen? No more tears, you know, and the whole mansion thing. We, we tend to think about that, but here, Paul's not as interested in those things as awesome as they are. But here, he's motivating us for our love for Christ, knowing that judgment is due. It's a very fearful thing. It should motivate us. So this is a matter of the heart here because he truly wants others to be able to stand at this judgment where they will receive the rewards instead of the great white throne judgment where people will be evaluated for their sin and internally separated from God. So here's the big takeaway from verse 11. I said all that to say this. Paul didn't wait for judgment to start doing stuff for the Lord for the right reason and the right motives. And we shouldn't either. In fact, Paul said he was completely open before, the, before God and that God completely knows his motives and intents. This is what he means here in verse 11 when he says, but, we, but what we are known is known to God. And so God knows everything about us. So in verse 11, he's saying because of that, we persuade men. And the Greek word for our word persuade there means that someone, you know, to gain somebody's favor, to build relationships with them. So they will have a favorable desire of us. But the word persuade here in our, in, in our context refers to both the false teachers that are going on in this verse or this chapter and also the unbelievers, which we're going to see later on in verse 20. But ultimately, it refers to persuading those to receive Christ because of what it says, again, in verse 20 that we're going to see in a little bit where we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul desired supremely for those to come to Christ. And this is what he was living for. This is what he was suffering for. This is what he was in and out of prison. Everywhere, every town he went, he was pretty much, I mean, I'm going to be going to jail for this. But he ultimately would pay the price with his life for this. So it meant everything to him. But the term persuade men here is also refers to our integrity and our heart. Paul goes on to talk about this because it's always a matter of the heart, isn't it, guys? I mean, for Paul, it, it wasn't about trying to elevate himself, trying to make himself be something he wasn't or, or prove his legitimacy for his apostleship and, and accomplishments. But he wasn't like the others that were in the Corinthian church at this time. This was a part of the conflict that was going on. And so this is what he means in verse 12. Look what he says. He goes, we are not commending ourselves to you again. In other words, we're not trying to win your approval here. We've already proven that we are who we say we are by what we have been doing. He says, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you will be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. So Paul's saying, man, we're, we, we're giving you a legitimate reason to be proud of us, and rightly so. He says that you will have a comparison between what we do and what those other guys are in the church doing just simply for the elevation of their own self to make themselves look good. But it's all about the heart, isn't it, guys? I mean, we can, we can make life appear to be what it, whatever we want to be if we try long and hard enough. Well, we can fool people, and we can make them think that we're all spiritual and stuff. But it always comes down to the motivation of the heart. That's what Jesus is looking at here. 
And that's what we're going to be judged for. That's what's going on in our text today. So Paul's looking at this and he's saying, I'm so motivated because of the fear of the Lord and the respect that I have for the Lord because of what I know to be true. He said, I am supremely motivated to persuade others to place their faith in Christ. So we see from Scripture there's a conflict going on in the Corinthian church. And so between those and all those guys that thought were making everything about themselves and they were serving from a, a different perspective, a perspective, a different reason. Paul was serving from the heart. Man, you know what? If there's anything missing in the church today, it, it's a lack of desire for the church to persuade people to come to Jesus Christ. Man, the, the, the church just seems like they just want to roll along, uh, you know, without this urgency. I mean, you look around today in this time and tell me there's not an urgency to reach people. You just look around at our culture today and this is the reason why we're here today. We're here to share our faith. We're here to make disciples. So what if people think we're out of sorts or we're a little crazy and out of touch with reality? Which brings me to my next point. Man, we're crazy, but yet we're sane. Paul is so motivated here that he makes this crazy statement. I love this verse in verse 13. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Have you ever heard somebody say they're beside themselves? I remember the first time when I was a kid, I heard somebody say they're beside themselves. I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Or are they like, you know, are they beside themselves? I, I wasn't really sure. Now, I understand some translations put this as like the NLT says, if we seem crazy, I get that. Or, or the Amplified Bible says that if we are out of our mind, I understand that. But the interesting thing is that Paul is saying here, man, what we're doing for God, it's going to seem really, really crazy to some people. They're probably not going to get it. Maybe they don't get it for a while. Maybe they don't get it at all. They're just going to think we're crazy. This, this means that, you, man, you're going to have to be motivated. Seriously motivated to persuade people. Not in a, you know, like a dogmatic way or anything, but... Because of your love for Christ compels you to. Because there's more than a good chance, especially in our culture today, you're going to seem a little out of touch. You're going to seem a little crazy to some folks. I'll prove it to you. How many of you here today would say you're busy people? Raise your hand. You're busy people. You got jobs. The rest of you didn't raise your hand. You're slackers. Okay. Either that or you're retired, you know, which means that all of us that raise our hand, we're pretty envious of you right now. But we are, man. We're, we're busy people. And, and it's just, we, there's just so much to do and so much time. And, and, you know, busy people, what? We work five days a week. Some of you work six days a week. Some of you have two jobs, which means you only have, what, like one to two days off. And you just blew past one of those days yesterday, which means you only have the day. And tomorrow it's Monday already. But we're busy people, man. You got family. You got stuff to do. And, those of you who have kids, you know, uh, you got to spend time with them or they'll drive you crazy, you know, or, or maybe the boss at work, maybe he's driving you crazy. But depending on if you work five or six days a week, you only have one or two days off. And then you're done. And then it's, it's, it's Monday already. And we would all agree, hopefully, it's important to read the Word of God, right? You, you agree with that? It's important to read the Word of God. Well, how are you going to do that, man? We're busy people. It's hard to find the time. I mean, you've got to get up like, what, 30 minutes, 
an hour earlier in the morning just to have that time with God? I mean, you know, you, you get up in the morning and it's, it's already early. And so you, then you got to spend time to read the Word of God. Man, you know, I used to pop right up out of bed when I was younger. I, I don't do that anymore. It takes me a while to wake up. I'll get up in the morning, man. I don't even know what town I'm in. I'll start walking around and banging off the doorposts and stuff. It just takes me a while, you know, to begin to wake up. And then we're talking about reading God's Word. So what is it that compels you to get up earlier in the morning and read the Word of God and, 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 and pray with, to God? What, what is it that causes you to do that? Well, Paul would say that you're crazy. He says you're crazy for God. I mean, if you think about it, why are all you even here this morning? Again, tomorrow's Monday, man. It's off the work you go. You just blew past your day off yesterday and today. And, man, it's a nice day out there. You could be doing stuff. So why are you guys all here? Paul would say it's because you're crazy. You're crazy for God. And Paul's out there persuading people. He says, when it comes to my relationship with God, I'm out of my mind. I've lost it. I'm crazy. But for you, I'm completely sane because I'm persuading you. I'm persuading you. I mean, why would Paul do that? I mean, look what Paul gave up. He was a Pharisee. He was not only a Pharisee, he was like the Pharisee of Pharisees. And that was a pretty lucrative gig back then. So why would he give all that up? Just to be stoned, beaten, thrown into prison, slapped around everywhere he went? And he, he, he gave all that up. He had the respect of the Jewish community, and now they hate him. So why do people, you know, give up their own personal pursuits and instead follow the direction of the Holy Spirit? Why do people become missionaries, for crying out loud, and leave a perfectly great country to live in? Or at least it is for the, this month. I don't know what's going to happen after that. But why do you spend time preparing for a Bible study? Why do you look for opportunities to witness to your family members that are probably going to get angry at you if you do that? Why would you go off and hand somebody one of these when they're probably going to shoot you down more than a good chance? Why would you even put yourself out there to do that? We do it because we're out of our minds for Jesus. That's why we do it. We do it because we're absolutely convinced that Jesus is the pinnacle of all things. Even if he doesn't seem like it to the rest of the world. See, that's what Paul says what he says in the second part of verse 13. He says, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. We're crazy for God, but we're completely sane for you. He goes on to say and make the point that we are motivated because of our love for Christ. Look at verses 14 and 15. It tells us that, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And that word control there, it actually can be translated also as the word compels. But the word control as it's being used here, it means I no longer live for myself. There's just something that's going on so huge inside of me that, man, I've got to persuade others about this. He goes on to say, but I have concluded this. In other words, Paul says, for me, the buck stops right here. He goes, the one has died for all, and therefore, all have died. 
Because Christ died for us. All believers die to themselves. That's what's going on here. Paul wanted them to know that his old self-centered life, his old way, was gone. That guy didn't exist anymore. And in verse 15, he says that if he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. So we see verse 15 just simply defines verse 14. And this is such an important truth for us. That salvation is free. But man, Christ-like living will cost us something at some point. I love verse 15 because it's a type verse of Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he died for me. We talked about that verse last week. We talked about it in Bible study this morning. And so Paul here, he's beginning to make this transition to verse 16. It's this idea that he is conveying here is that I'm so compelled I'm persuading people to Christ. And because of his dedication to be persuasive, he begins motivating the church to fulfill their ministry of reconciliation. Well, how do we know that? Well, because he gives us the answer in verse 16. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is really important here, guys. You need to underline that phrase right there. He said, goes on to say, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul said, from now on, he goes, we no longer know anyone from a mere human perspective. He, he goes, we don't know anybody anymore from a pure human way. And this is a good thing for us to know. And, and, and even more importantly, it's a good thing for us to do. Because right now, man, we find ourselves right in the middle of, of cultural division that is all around us. And Christians don't even know how to respond sometimes to the stuff that's going on. I mean, as a pastor, I, you know, I talk to people who are afraid and they're, they're upset and what they see going on in our country. And, and uh, I gave someone an invitation card the other day and we talked about this very thing. And then if you look at all the social media feeds, and depending on what cable news media you feed, that, that you watch, your perspective is filled with whatever they're saying and their view and how they spin it and what's going on. And then you see Christians venting over these things on Facebook, you know, over this or, or that, and, and they're responding to the frustrations of others in their posts instead of, pointing them to Jesus Christ. I mean, seriously, folks, there's a whole lot of opportunity out there. And I think we've become spiritually ADD. We just blow right past it so many times. But we've got to stop looking at all the noise and all the chatters and use it for an opportunity to be persuasive. Not dogmatic, but persuade them with the love of Christ. Because we're not supposed to see anybody from a pure humanly perspective anymore this is what paul is saying in our text today we got to move from this worldly perspective a purely human way instead we need to see people as god sees them why because we have this new life in christ and we're going to see that in just a moment 
but we are to see people in a different way. We got to start see we got to start seeing people as God sees them. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, maybe we didn't fully understand who Jesus was. But in light of our understanding of the gospel, we see him rightly. And now we are people that are different. We're changed. We see people in a different way. We see people as God sees them. So because of our new life, we see them as Jesus would have us to see them. And again, this idea of seeing people as God sees them, we see this throughout the Gospels, do we not? Remember Zacchaeus? We talked about him a few weeks ago. Remember that? We saw him through a purely a human view. A worldly view. You know, tax collectors, man. They were, they were the hated individuals. They were the scum of the earth back there in that day. They were despised beyond words. And so no one would ever even dare to touch those guys, those tax collectors in that day, because you would have been deemed unclean. You, you certainly wouldn't hang out with them. You certainly wouldn't have dinner with them and stay in their house, especially the chief tax collector, the tax collector of all tax collectors, and yet Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus, I mean, Zacchaeus, and he says, come down, Zacchaeus, because I'm staying at your house today. And man, if we'd have all been following Jesus down that Jericho road on the way to Jerusalem, if we'd have been going right behind it and we'd have heard Jesus say that, we'd have gasped at that. Like, Jesus, do you know who you're talking to? He's the scum of the earth. Why, why would you be saying that? The reason why, because we would have been seeing Zacchaeus through a purely human lens, from a human perspective. God was the scum of the earth. We would have been thinking, Jesus, what in the world are you, you thinking? And maybe in that moment, we would have only stood Jesus for who he, we thought he was. And therefore, we would have only have been able to see Zacchaeus through a purely human way. Are you hearing me this morning? Is that making sense to you? I mean, this is the essence of what, what Paul is saying here. In verse 16, he goes, for now on, just to read it again, for now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So because we know Jesus and for who he is now, man, it changes us. We're no longer that old person. We see things through a different set of lenses now. Things are no longer viewed through a purely world lens. But now we see them as God sees them. And I think this is probably the reason why we're so timid about doing this right here, handing somebody an invitation card. And sometimes we get afraid because we're looking at them through a purely human perspective. We're conjuring up in our minds what their reaction is going to be long before it ever even happens. But when we look at people through the lens of the gospel, we begin to see them as Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Things won't seem so fearful if we begin to view people through those lenses when we see people as God sees them. Well, what if they ask me something I don't know? Oh, what? It's okay. I get that. I mean, I used to feel that way many years ago. And besides, here's a thought. 
Do you really think that the unsaved and the unchurched is going to ask you for what is your position on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man right off the bat? <laughs> I don't think so. Hey, they're unchurched. They probably don't know anything, so you probably know a whole lot more than they do. But Satan's like, they're going to ask you something you don't know. <gasps> you know? And we just kind of fear that for some reason. Just tell them what you do know. Just tell them how Christ has changed your life. You don't have to quote a bunch of Bible verses. I find the most powerful thing that I've ever shared with somebody was just how Christ changed my life and just laid my testimony out there and then asked them, man, has anything like that ever happened to you? It's one of the most powerful things you can do. Man, we got to see things differently, church. Seeing things through a different set of lenses. And this is what Paul is saying when he says in verses 17 through 19, he starts off with this familiar word again, therefore. We've all talked about that. Whenever you see the word therefore, we need to ask, well, what is it therefore? And here's why. He's saying because we no longer see people through a worldly view from a purely human perspective. Maybe we didn't fully understand who Christ was at first, but now we do. And so we have a new set of lenses. Why? Because we've got a new life. Things are different now. Because now we're seeing things through a set of gospel lenses. We've got a brand new perspective. It's tied to the new life. That's why he's saying what he says in verse 17. Very familiar verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. So we see what Paul has been saying prior. It's all connected to this new life that he's now talking about. It's not talking about trying to be better or more moral, but really even coming to church more often. I had someone tell me one time, he goes, man, I just need to turn over a new leaf on life. I want to get baptized. <laughs> I'm saying, it's not how it works, man. It's not how any of this works. But it's about receiving a new life in Christ. And now that we have him, you know, not just knowing facts about Jesus, knowing more things about Jesus but know him through this brand new relationship that we have with him. And now the Holy Spirit of God lives inside me. And so we see things completely different now through this brand new life that I have received from Christ. So we see now the therefore why it's there. It makes the connection between the two thoughts, like the old way of law, life, the old way that I used to look at things. We talked about this morning in Bible study. But now, man, I've got a new set of glasses the other day, it's funny, man. Back in the day when I was going to school, it was like the worst thing that happened to you. You know, if you had to wear glasses at the school, it was that or either braces or, you know, maybe you had a mom that bought you weird clothes and made you wear them. That, you know, that sort of thing gets you beat up back then. But, but glasses, man, they were like the worst back then. But now, but now people buy glasses and have put clear lenses put on them, you know. And some of you probably know what I'm talking about because glasses are in now. But he's saying, man, this is what Paul's idea of this new lenses that we have, this gospel set of lenses, and now I see people as God sees them. See, guys, that's just it. When we're looking at people through a gospel set of lenses, it's not so fearful to share our story with them. Why? Because we see them as God sees them. It's not so awkward to hand them an invitation card. We become crazy for God and sane for them. We become, our, our ministry becomes the biggest thing to us because it's a matter of our heart. 
We're motivated to be a persuader. Why? Because fulfilling our ministry is what matters most to us. You know, we typically think of our ministry, we, we tend to compartmentalize our ministries like, you know, I, I greet people at the door, or I work in kids' ministry, or I serve on the worship team. But here we're seeing where God collectively has given believers the body of Christ, all, every single one of us, this ministry of reconciliation. He haven't just given it to the pastors or those in ministry or the evangelists, but he's given it to all believers. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, all this is from God. Everything he's been talking about. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you notice how many times he uses a form of the word reconcile in, that, in just in those two verses? Like four times. See, the, the New Testament writers many times would use uh, different forms of the same word to, to express a greater emphasis on the idea that they are conveying. This is, this is why we've been given a new life, a new perspective, a new set of gospel lenses, so that we can now see clearly man's greatest need to be reconciled. Listen to how John MacArthur puts it. I love this quote. He says, our job isn't to change the culture. If we try to change the culture, we make our mission field our enemies, and it keeps us from reaching them. Our ministry is to reconcile people to Jesus, and when we reach them with the gospel, they become a new creation. Reconciled people become changed people, and changed people change the culture. But you know what? When you look back at verses 18 and 19, Christ didn't reconcile us just so that we could merely see the need to reconcile people. Do an eight-week study of how it might look like if we were to reconcile people. He didn't say go do a, a theological study on the aspects and principles of reconciliation. Those are good things, don't get me wrong. But he reconciled us, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, go fulfill your ministry that God's given us. You see, that's the problem. The church in America collectively, we're not evangelizing. Even the Southern, I saw a report the other day, the Southern Baptist Convention is shrinking. And... Just in the Southern Baptist Convention alone, there are over 900 churches a year that are closing the doors. And I'm sure there's some contributing factors to that. But one thing you can't get past is we're not evangelizing plain and simple. I mean, we say things like, you know, I've got the you know, gift of evangelism. Some people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Some people say, well, the gift of evangelism is not even in the Bible. <laughs> Whether we think it's a gift or not, they both become the reason for the cop-out. For the one that says that they don't have the gift, they stay silent. For the one that says, I don't think it's a gift in the first place, they stay silent. For the one that takes the spiritual gift survey and on evangelism, you bottomed out. They use that for a reason, well, I just don't have it, so they stay silent. And then the results for the church are, 
the ministry of reconciliation doesn't happen. Conclusion, the church shrinks. Man, we can sit around and we can blame a lot of things in the culture and today and maybe even the pastor. But here's the thing. You can't get around those set of verses. So are we, are we not going to fulfill the ministry of reconciliation as a church body? To wrap this up, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, We are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We all know what an ambassador is. It's a representative. We know that our home is not this earth. It's from heaven. So we're ambassadors from heaven sent to this earth. For why? The purpose of reconciliation. But we're first and foremost citizens of another country. That's us. Paul goes on to say, we implore you. Now, I love that phrase. It's like he's begging. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Man, if that's not a charge to evangelize, I don't know what is. If you don't think it is, then I don't know. Maybe we're all just plain confused or ignorant or stupid. I don't know. We're just plain disobedient. Last verse. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This goes back to imputation. That because of Adam's sin, God took the sin of Adam and he, he placed it on all of mankind. We all inherited it. You got it from your dad and he got it from his dad and so on. And then God takes the sin of mankind and God the Father places it on God the Son. And then... God takes the righteousness of God the Son for all those who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and places it on the believer. And we are now made right with God. We have been reconciled. There's no longer that separation that sin brought in our lives. Man, that's our motivation, guys, right there. I don't even think I even need to say any more after that point. So the invitation is this. If you've never had a time you received Jesus Christ, please see me after the service. If maybe you're watching online and we have a form down at the bottom. I don't mean to sound so impersonal, but if you would go on and just indicate that, I promise you, I will get back with, with you. But there's no greater thing. But I want to encourage you guys, hand out these cards. Do not see people from a human perspective. See them as God sees them and just hand them the card. Doesn't matter what their reaction to that card is, but what does matter is our obedience so church let's go fulfill our ministry amen amen